0: If you have one hour a week, right, that's it. If you can only get a couple articles out the door a month, then so be it. But make them really, really good.
1: Welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast with Brian Collins. Here you'll find practical advice and interviews for all kinds of writers. Starting a niche website is a great way of earning passive income from your writing. Hi there. My name is Brian Collins and welcome to the Become a Writer Today podcast. In this week's episode, I interview Canadian man and former lawyer John Dykstra. He's running nine different profitable niche sites and regularly earns over $40,000 a month from writing and online publishing. But before we get into this week's interview, here's a quick personal update. Lately, I've been trying to get back into more creative, deeper writing, particularly creative nonfiction writing. And I've been drawn towards personal essays and literary nonfiction. And I came across the book, The Art of Memoir by Mary Carr. And she explains how nonfiction authors can tell deeper, more creative stories in their work. And this is something I want to do because basically I've spent the past two years or so writing business self-help articles for the likes of Forbes, writing interviews, and also writing, you know, how to practical articles on Become a Writer Today. And while those types of articles have all been, you know, fun to write, and while some of them have hopefully been helpful for readers, I want to get back to more creative, deeper, introspective writing. And I want to move a little bit away from the uh, business self-help genre. Years ago, I used to read a lot of nonfiction, personal essays, and also literary nonfiction. I'm talking about works by John Cheever, by Montaigne and so on. But recently the Art of Memoir by Mary Carr was recommended to me and she unpacks how novelists and nonfiction writers like Vladimir Nabokov put together their works. I always love hearing another writer's approach on their craft and here's a great quote I came across in the Art of Memoir. Mary writes, Writing regardless of the end result, whether good or bad, published or not, Well reviewed or slammed means celebrating beauty in an often ugly world. So to understand exactly where Mary is coming from, I'm also reading her book The Liars Club, which is Mary's memoir about her difficult early childhood. It's been particularly interesting reading the two books at once because in Yard of Memoir, Mary will make a point that references something she did or explored in her own memoir. And then because I'm reading that at the same time, I can get some context about where she's coming from. So of course to read two books at once can be a little bit overwhelming. So I'm reading one of them on Kindle and I listen to the other one on Audible when I'm gone out for a walk or for a run and so on. And I also like this approach because you can really lose yourself in the world and in the voice of an author or of a writer and you can really get to understand where they're coming from and what it is they're trying to say. If you're interested in learning more about memoir, I'd of course recommend reading both of these books. And if you're interested in learning more about personal essays and what a personal essay is, there's a fantastic anthology that I came across years ago, and it's pretty heavy and pretty big, and it took me a long time to get through it. It's called The Art of the Personal Essay, an anthology from the classical era to the present by Philip Lopate. And this anthology contains Personal essays from hundreds of years ago and personal essays from contemporary times. So if you want to, you know, dig a bit deeper into your writing, I'd encourage you to check that book out as well. At the other end of the spectrum, earning more money from your writing. Well, one fantastic way to do just that is to start a niche website. A niche website is typically a site that focuses on a topic like cars, for example and contains lots of helpful and informational articles about that topic in question. There are, of course, hyper-niche sites which go even deeper into that topic. And you can monetize these niche websites through advertising, through affiliate marketing, or through selling courses, and so on. Canadian lawyer John Dykstra is one man who is very familiar with niche sites. He's running at least nine of them, and he started several more over the years What's more, he's earning over $40,000 a month from his niche websites. And he's been writing about his journey and sharing monthly income reports on his site, FatStacks Blog, which I'd encourage you to subscribe to if you're interested in earning more from your writing or starting your own niche website. Don't worry if you're not familiar with the concept or if you just want to learn a little bit more about John, because in this week's interview, he explains what is a niche website and just why they're so profitable. He talks about why niche sites are ideal business opportunities for writers. And he also explains where you can get niche website ideas. And if you're strapped on time, John also delves into what he would do if he had just one hour a week to work. There's lots more we cover in the interview, but I started by asking John to explain how he transitioned from his career as a lawyer to becoming an online publisher.
0: It was a long transition. Most of these situations are. I was practicing law and as a young lawyer, I needed uh, more clients. So we decided to get a website going. This was way back when a lot of small business didn't have a website, lawyers included. So we got that going and we hired a company to do that for us because I I knew nothing about it. And what they did was something that was novel back then. And they included, they did the usual business website, but they actually had a blogging component, a CMS, essentially kind of like WordPress, but built in. And this was back in 07, around 06. And they said to me that they were pretty uh, revolutionary in the whole SEO. They, they recognized the blogging potential and they said, Hey, you know, as a lawyer, if you want to get more clients and traffic, blog. So I started doing that. That's essentially how I got into it. I really liked it. I loved writing about various things that we did with our, with our law practice and just giving information to potential clients. And it worked really, really well. So it grew from there. I, started really just enjoying on the whole online blogging aspect, the writing aspect, and of course, the, the marketing and the search engine optimization that resulted from that. So I started dabbling a little bit with some general content websites that I'd read about and kind of built those on the side. Eventually, they grew and so did the blog. And the transition is I continued to help some other law firms with their online marketing. Back then, this is this all pretty novel stuff. And then uh, potentially, or eventually, I should say, my new sites just started growing. And eventually, you're forced to choose. It's hard to do both. And I really just seemed to like the blogging side more and the writing side online more and uh, opted to go that route. When or what year was this when you decided to do it full-time? 2012. Okay. Early 2012. So we actually built up the... Law practice, I, I managed it to do fairly well with the whole online thing. And I did that for a number of years. And the content sites thing didn't come till quite a bit later. You know, I was focusing on the small business website and the, the local blog for for a long time. That uh, was a really important thing for me. It, but it worked like gangbusters. It still worked. I encourage, I, I have colleagues and friends who own local small businesses. I, I still 100% encourage them to blog and provide really good information on their sites for their prospective customers and clients.
1: So did you, just so you understand correctly, did you leave your job as a lawyer to work on the niche sites or to manage the,
0: the small business sites that you've described? Uh, more toward the niche sites. That was the okay. ultimate end goal uh, yep. to help with the transition financially. I, I didn't take on a lot of uh, marketing work. I took enough on so that it would uh, help me get by. When I did the transition in 2012, my niche sites were doing quite well already. The marketing was sort of a, a bit of a safety net because that's, that's a totally different business model. But I knew that well, I didn't mind doing that. That wasn't something I wanted to do indefinitely. like the end game was being an online publisher that yeah. that was what I really wanted to do. and so that was my goal and that's where I'm at today.
1: An online publisher, which you certainly are. If I followed you correctly, you you have at least six, maybe seven niche sites. is that correct?
0: Yeah, correct. Uh, nine actually, but okay. You know, it's easy to say that several of them are very small and don't do anything. They're merely ideas. And here's why I do that. It's very difficult to manage that many sites. And the reason for that is like, really, I really focus on four sites right now, I would say. And the reason it's hard is, I mean, your your costs go up exponentially. I mean, just simple things like little tech issues that can happen across all your sites. Well, instead of dealing with one site, you've got to deal yeah. with multiple sites. So, you know, it exponentially pulls away from your time. And when you have one or two large sites, that's very demanding as much as you, you outsource and have a team in place. So it requires a lot of my time. But here, here's the thing. Here's why I launch a few extra sites on the side. I call them my, my rainy day sites. And I kick them along and I, I publish maybe one, two, three articles a month on them. I don't expect them to do well, but I like to have some aged sites with some good content just sort of sitting there in case down the road I do get some time and some more resources and I can then build them. And you know, they're already aged, they're already they already have value, even though they don't actually make any money.
1: So, you sent me a great email there about a month ago or to our two subscribers on your email list, and it explained about what you would do if you had just one hour a week to work on your, your business. Could you explain what your approach is if you had just one hour a week?
0: Yes. It's simple. It's writing really good content for whatever topic you decide to create a website about. The most important part, and, and this is where I spend in the most of my time, is the publishing of really good content. And you know, you're involved in in the writing industry. The top-tier publications, that's what they focus on for the most part. That's why they're top-tier publications. It comes down to the content. And so if you have one hour a week, write, that's it. If you can only get a couple articles out the door a month, then so be it. But make them really, really good. On the flip side, everybody's situation is different. I'm assuming if you only have one hour a week, you have a job, a full-time job, which is demanding. If you have disposable income, that you can risk. This is a risky business, right? But if you have disposable income and and you're genuine and you're in wanting to build up a publishing business, it does help to be able to pay writers to produce more content that will speed up the process. But if you're going to go out of pocket and you're brand new at this and you're going to spend hundreds of dollars per article or multiple articles a month, realize that there is no guarantee with this business. I've had lots of false starts with sites that, that don't work. Many, actually, they just don't work. And bad fit with me for whatever reason, bad idea. These things happen.
1: And at what point do you know a site isn't working?
0: Oh, yeah, that's a a good question. That's a really hard decision to make because you don't want to pull the plug too early. I mean, you got to be patient. These things don't happen in six months. The growth takes a long time unless you're very, very lucky or you really know what you're doing. I can't make them happen in six months. So it's hard. You don't want to pull the plug early, but at the same time, you don't want to just keep throwing money at something that has absolutely no future. So it's really a judgment call. For instance, I have uh, one niche site that, I don't know, for some reason I thought was a good idea. And it's something I'm interested in. So I may pursue it just out of interest, say, if I get more time. But here's one indicator. If your potential market, like readership, is pretty limited, I don't like that. To me, that is... If I go that route, that's because I, I didn't do my research properly. But I don't really like that because the upside is very limited. And I prefer to create online publications where there's a huge market, a huge potential readership that motivates me to really want to grow it. And so that's my preference. But on the flip side, there is something to be said for very, very niche, very focused online publications that cover one topic, and it covers very much in depth. And at some point, we've exhausted the topics. And you can almost kind of say, "Well, I'm done with the site, and it earns what it earns. It's probably never going to earn much more, but it is a nice little stream of revenue, maybe it's a big stream of revenue, and that's it. so there are those sites too, but my general preference is huge potential market, and you know like I said, I picked sites that just bad idea from the get go didn't do my research, thought thought it would be easier, thought it would be better, thought it would be bigger. It comes down to like having to make a gut decision and it's, it's hard because you don't know if you're doing the right thing.
1: And to flip that question on its head, how long do you think it takes for a niche site to gain some traction?
0: Yes. Well, let's assume that the line share in your, of traffic and your focus is Google search traffic. You really need to give it two to three years. These days, you know, Google takes a long time to really you know, get sites to be doing, performing really well. Especially with my strategy, which is really focusing on a lot of long tail, low competition articles. For readers, there'll be more more obscure, maybe interesting topics that go a little bit more in depth. The reason I do that is, is, is there's less competition, it's easier to rank. But even for that, you know, if, if you're gonna get some serious traffic, you need a lot of those articles and build up a large catalog of content. And then your your traffic will grow. The alternative strategy, but you can do both at the same time would be to focus on, you know, really popular topics, but then you really have to focus on trying to get them ranked in Google. Now these things can be sped up. I tend to take the tortoise approach. I know people who are able to build big, high traffic sites inside a year, inside eighteen months. But you know they're doing a lot of promotion and, and link building and attracting links and that sort of thing. So it can be done. It's not my approach. I tend to take the tortoise approach. So um, and, and then there's also the social media factor. I mean, if if you are very adept, or hire somebody who's very adept on Pinterest, you can make things happen fairly quickly on Pinterest. Uh, yeah. Again, not easy. And most people don't manage, but you know, if if you have a, the knack for Pinterest, you can get results very, very quickly.
1: So, listeners are clear. What what do you see, or what is the definition of a niche site, and then a hyper niche site? Because it, it took me a while to figure out, you know, why some sites are so specific and other sites aren't.
0: Yeah, well, this this is one of those things that all falls on a spectrum, right? Okay, so I mean, arguably, a site that discusses automobiles is a niche site. Some would argue, well, that's not really a niche. That's like 50 niches inside one site. So it really depends who you talk to. I like in that to a niche site. I tend to prefer the the word content sites or online publication, but whatever, a niche site, that would be a niche site. I would say a, a hyper niche site would be something that discusses crossovers or sports cars. But some would say, well, well, yeah, that may be a niche site. A hyper niche site would be something that maybe focuses on a uh, Toyota minivans. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. you just keep you keep going down and down and down, right? And I think you can talk to different people, you can get different ideas. For me, a niche is generally I would qualify automobiles as a niche. Some would say, well, that, that's essentially like an entire vertical or sector or market. Yeah, you, you could be right, but the, that's why I, the reason I think of it that way is because I tend to, if I were going to go into the whole let's say I was going to do an automobile uh, type site. Well, I, I would go at the automobile level. I might start with a Toyota crossover and do a bunch of stuff on that or a Toyota minivan and just do a bunch of stuff on that. But the goal would be to build it out to be cover many different types of cars and potentially trucks and so forth. So,
1: Gotcha, gotcha. So we talked there about your, you know, your transition from a full-time job and also about uh, reliance on Google for traffic. So do you see the Google algorithm as a risk to your business or to niche sites? Uh, Like I've certainly seen on my own sites, you know, traffic can fluctuate after an algorithm update.
0: Absolutely. Google is the biggest risk in this business. Whichever your biggest traffic source is, that's your biggest risk. Because without traffic, not really much of a business. So yeah, I mean, Google changes its algorithms all the time. I've had fluctuations over the years. Big ones, small ones. And and I think anybody who's been publishing online for a number of years have had the same experience. So yeah, absolutely big risk. I think if you are very good on Pinterest and you get a lot of traffic from Pinterest, that's a risk. Pinterest can change its algorithm overnight and there's nothing you can do about it. I mean, look at look at what Facebook changed their reach big time. Big, yeah. big time to brands and pages, business pages several years ago. And, and people had huge online publications with all their traffic coming from Facebook and it disappeared overnight. So yeah, I think, you know, you know, there's an argument to be said that, you know, people who buy traffic, let's say your e-commerce sites, they might be a little bit more insulated from the risk, but it's a competitive environment and your costs for, for traffic will fluctuate throughout the year, over the years, continue to go up to the point where you can't afford it either. So yeah, I mean, whatever your traffic source is, that's your primary risk. So how or what advice would you give to somebody for managing that risk? <laughs> well, I'd say diversify, but how do you do that, right? I, I like to think I'm diversified with multiple websites. In fact, yeah. that's the number one motivator for me to, to invest time and money into additional sites to grow them. And hopefully that, you know, I'll have multiple streams of revenue. But let's face it, all these sites, the lion's share of the traffic is Google. So, okay, Google, Google could change its algorithm where it affects one of my sites. That's in all likelihood of a very likely scenario in the future. If the algo could change to affect all my sites, right? That's less likely, I suspect, which is why I do it. But it is possible. So yeah, I mean, how do I diversify? I I suppose invest in other types of businesses outside of being online, I suppose. But then what you're doing is you've got a, a distraction, you're not as focused, and that's a difficult thing to manage as well. So it's a hard question to answer. I basically focused online and, you know, it's a risk.
1: And to play devil's advocate, would it make more sense to just focus on one site and build that up as much as possible by putting all the resources and time into that one site?
0: Yeah, I I think so. There are many times throughout a month I think that because I am deploying resources and time on other sites. Now, I do put the line of my time into two sites and they happen to be the most lucrative. They're the most lucrative, probably because I put the most time into it. But on the flip side, you know, I think it's a good idea to try to diversify somewhat. But I I can't argue with your suggestion that uh, I could grow the one site perhaps more, larger, faster. But here's the thing, and and this is an interesting observation, and I, I don't know, you can't really quantify this. But, okay, I've got one really large site. It's the highest revenue site. I've had it for a number of years, six years now. The thing is is I could double the investment per month, but is that going to grow it any faster? I already put quite a bit into it, and I have had months where I've really poured a lot into it, and did did it grow a whole lot faster not really it's it's sort of like basically what I'm trying to say is there's this sweet spot where we you know we're diminishing returns. We want to get all economic about it. At some point, you could throw as much money as you want into into an existing site, but you're not going to get greater returns. You're, you're just, that, that's it. I don't know. But maybe that money will pay off 12 months down the road. It's hard to know. It's a, it's almost impossible to track, really. But anyways, I feel a little bit better diversifying, but I, I agree with you. Like if, if I were willing to take a bigger risk, I'd just put everything into one site and build it up as big as I can, as fast as I can.
1: You also talked there about deploying resources, and I know, I know from taking one of your courses that you rely a lot on other writers to produce the content for your sites, and you outsource you know some of the content production. So how, how do you manage you know working with, with so many different writers across so many different niches?
0: Yeah, well, this is the crux of the entire business model, really. Uh, I liken content as the widget. If you're in manufacturing, you produce widgets. You're an online publisher. You produce content, and so yes, there are multiple workflows. I have a couple of in-house writers that I work with. Now, that, that's a great situation. Okay, they're hard to find and and hire, but when you do find them, it's it's great. And the reason is, is because basically, like it's hands off. You get into a workflow. They know what you want. They know how they, how they want everything. You don't have to reinvent the instruction template every time because they are basically just they just do their thing. They write. You give them a list of topics. In fact, one of my writers, she comes up with the topics herself, uh, which is great. And she basically has her own column within one of the sites, and and it's awesome. Now, the the other source of where I get content is what I call uh, content agencies. Some people refer to them as content mills. Uh, basically what these are is it's a website that brings uh, publishers and writers together. So there's are a huge pool of writers who are there. You submit your article topics and then some writer will pick it up and write it and deliver it within the stipulated deadline. So the one I like uh, a lot these days is writeraccess.com. I'm a big fan of them. They've got some just absolutely great writers. They attract Really, really good talent. Yeah, And then also for, a, you know, if you've got a much smaller budget, you're willing to spend a little bit of time uh, improving it and doing some editing, Text broker is good. It's, it's a very economical option. And I still use them occasionally, but I prefer Writer Access. So these are great. I like these content agents because I can literally like order 50 articles at one time. And yeah. instead of waiting for one writer to produce them over the course of two months, I can have 20 writers pick them all up and deliver them seven or ten days later. Yeah. The pros and cons to both. But you know, when you use one of these content mills or agencies, 30% or whatever percent is going, you know, to to the middle person, right? It's inefficient. It's no good for the writer, it's no good for the publisher. But if it weren't for them, I wouldn't be able to access a big pool of talent. So that's the way it is.
1: It still seems to take a, a significant amount of time to fit in the brief and you know work with the writer to make sure they're on brief and then to provide feedback on the article and then get it to a place that you'll be happy with. At least based on my my limited experience using some of the sites you've mentioned.
0: Yes, well, that is also a part of the equation I've been working on. So recently, I created a new position. Until very recently, I, I did the ordering and I did the keyword research. I did the outlines for content briefs and all that. Now, it helps when you set out templates, create templates. If you're getting into this, like have order briefs. I have literally like 20... Different content brief templates that I tweak for every order, but the lion's share is there. Right, I'm not retyping everything every time. Okay, so that helps a lot. And the other thing, what I've done is I recently created. It's just a part-time position. It's what I call a content strategist, and they are doing the keyword research and the outlines and creating the content briefs. Well, working off my templates, she's creating some of her own templates as well, which is fantastic. And submitting the articles and then reviewing the articles as a return. So that was the role I had been doing. Well, since I got into this business, um, So when I sort of outsourcing writing, that was I still continue to do that. But recently, I was able to hire a very, very capable person to do that, and that, that's freed up my time to really focus on just trying stuff. I like trying stuff, and that, and that's kind of how FatStacksBlog.com uh, emerged because I just tried stuff. I started testing how to monetize with display ads. I wrote about it. Started testing with fillet stuff. I wrote about it. Started testing different types of content and wrote about it. And so I kind of like to tinker and a lot of the stuff I try does don't really work out, but some of the stuff I do and it does work out and then that really helps out my business. So that's tend to what I spent a lot of time doing, but it's been nice getting out of the process. Now if you're going to hire a content strategist. You going have to pay. Um, don't look for, you know, really low cost. You, you've got to get somebody who really understands this business model, who's done it before, who can do really good keyword research. who can come up with good topics. Who is willing to put the time, like understand how to create an excellent outline? The, the quality of the article is directly related to the quality of the instructions you give the writer. The yep. more details you give them, the more you set out and explain exactly what you want, including subtopic and headlines and sections and everything else. The more you can provide them, the better your article is going to be. It gives them the time to actually write really well-written sentences and articles and and do good solid research and so forth.
1: Did you find a content strategist on Upwork or through some other methods?
0: I tried there, I had some applicants, they, they looked around. I was very lucky. Well, one one of these sort of unexpected benefits of publishing fastsexblog.com and having an email readership is I occasionally have a advertiser position to the email readership and there are some very, very talented, capable people who are looking for you know, part-time job to work on the side while they are working on their own online uh, publishing business. So that was where I, I found this person. She had applied for it, and she's worked out really, really well. Great, great. That's
1: fantastic. And the other appeal to creating niche sites for a lot of people would be the idea that you can set it and forget it. Even though I know that's not necessarily true, but do, do you find you have to work, you know, uh, as hard as you were working when you were back when you were a lawyer, or are you able to work a reduced week, or what does your working week look like today?
0: Yeah, well, the law is a demanding job, so I don't think I work quite as hard then. But I, I still work hard, and it is demanding. And could I take a month or two off uh, and still have income? Yeah, I could. But you know, you can't just walk away. It's it's very difficult to do that. I think maybe if you get to you know a couple levels beyond where I'm at, when you have really really like capable management, like, true professionals running things, sure you could. But that's going to cost you big bucks, and, and, and I'm not going to do that. So yeah, I still put in 35 40 hours a week. It's a good number for me. I enjoy what I do, though. I look forward to coming in and tinkering on my sites and seeing how things are going and coming up with ideas and reviewing the work that's been done and doing interviews like this with you and writing. I I still write. I enjoy it. So yeah, I'm involved, but I also like to be involved.
1: Yeah, I've been on your email list for a while, John, and your your Fat Stacks emails. I mean, it's obviously you writing those emails and and content because there's a lot of personal insights. So it comes across that you do enjoy the creating content part of the business But what if somebody has a niche site and it's not a topic that they're overly excited about? Does that
0: make a difference? A little bit. I think it'll make more of a difference if they're writing the content. But I think it can be overcome. I think you can hire writers who are interested in the topic. And you just have to pay, right? Like, if you're looking to pay two cents a word, it's not going to be good. There's going to be no passion, no enthusiasm, no personality in that content. You pay six to eight cents a word. You're going to get people who are going to, who have the skills to write interesting, fun, informative content, and and you'll see the passion. So you're merely the publisher. You publish their work on your site, and and it can be good content. That's what I do. I like that.
1: I like that. So so where can people find more information about Julie John, or or about Fatstacks?
0: Yeah, Fatstacksblog.com. That's that's my business blog. It's where I blog about what i do with my online publishing business well what i'm doing building up the sites and so forth there's a lot of content i recently started a podcast and trying to get a little bit more into youtube so uh, yeah it's just just me having fun talking about this stuff
1: yeah it's a great name for a site if i remember correctly it's based on breaking bad is, is that right yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, it is. Oh man. It, it's a, it's a quote from Jesse Pinkman yeah. <laughs> uh, from the Breaking Bad show, which I loved great show. Yeah. And let me just see it here. I think I have it on the site somewhere. I put it on it because everybody kept asking me, what are the <laughs> name, what are the name? I'm like, <laughs> all right, I'm going to put a little snippet at the top. So I have it at the top here. There's a, there's a quote in one of the episodes. I have no idea which one, but I remember this and it's uh Jesse Pinkman. Going to make some mad cheddar, yo. Cheddar, Mr. White. Fat stacks, dead presidents, cash money. We're going to own this. (laughs) I love that line. So there you go. Very good. Very good. Well, it was great to talk to you today, John. Thanks again. Yeah, thank you very much, Brian. I appreciate it.
1: I hope you enjoyed this podcast episode. If you did, please leave a rating on the iTunes Store. And if you want to accomplish more with your writing, please visit today.com forward slash join and I'll send you a free email course.